Create. Discipline. Create. Collaborate. Create. Surprise. Create. Collaborate. This is Create Collaborate. I'm your host, Jody Sperling. And this week, we interviewed Aaron Garrett. This particular episode held a special spot in my heart because Aaron is my first friend. I'm sure I knew other fellas and gals, guys and gals. It sounds weird when you say guys, but gal sounds right. You know, little little gal, like second grade gal, kindergarten gal. You know, maybe not kids, kiddos. At any rate, you will hear early on in the episode uh, that Aaron and I discuss when we met. And I have the privilege of doing the very first fact check on this podcast. I confirmed this with several reliable witnesses, namely my stepmother and father. I knew Aaron from the age of six. We met at Cornerstone Church. The pastor at the time was a man named John Seville. John Seville decided that he wanted to be a little more charismatic than the rest of our congregation, what you would call speaking in tongues and falling in holy laughter and barking and things of that nature. And so about half of our congregation went with John Seville and started barking every Sunday, and the other half did what any good self-respecting Christian citizen would do, and we didn't bark. We rented out a school or something, some sort of art center maybe, and got folding chairs. I remember those times actually quite well after the split. My dad and I would go to the grocery store together, King Supers, and we would grab a, a little cow pal. It's like this cheese. It's an individually wrapped piece of cheese. And Yoplait, my favorite flavor, was pina colada. I didn't know how much of a precursor that would be to the amount of alcohol that I would drink as an adult. I didn't want the raspberry chocolate crap. I wanted pina colada, something in the rain. The main thing here is Aaron and I knew each other from the age of six, but we didn't go to school until much later. And then we fell out of touch. He moved to New York. I went to boarding school. I did all kinds of naughty stuff. Sounds like he did too. And this podcast covers a lot of that. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, as always, please make sure to like, share, rate, click star, download, all that stuff. Anything you can do on whatever uh, podcast platform you're listening on. Make sure people know you enjoy it. Because if you do, more people get to listen to us. I'll stop blabbering on. Please enjoy this interview with Aaron Garrett. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I've been kind of following you on and off, and, and it looks to me like you've been doing kind of audio and voiceover stuff for a little while now. Yeah, I started taking some lessons um, from someone on Long Island and had like maybe a series of six lessons with her in person, and then um, kind of discontinued having those sorts of lessons until I got to California in 2020. And then I, I did like a at the beach workshop with Nina Wise in the San Francisco area, and then did a lot of Zoom workshops with her after meeting in person that ended up um, moving from like physicality and like like improv theater more to like memoir writing okay and and how did you kind of move into that that space what what pushed you that direction um I think that I've identified as a storyteller like just based on the fact that like a lot of things in life I think I did purely for the story and I think that like I just like aim to live with that kind of poetry. I'm a nomadic type of person that has lived a lot of places. And 
people are entertained usually by my lifestyle working as a massage therapist people's like I think sometimes think it's kind of a mysterious career Mm -hmm. so writing like the memoir of a traveling massage therapist I thought was a really good idea because people on the table ask me about what I do like it's so exotic and it kind of is because I've been able to go from like resort destinations in Long Island to Miami the desert New Mexico hot springs in 12 years um it's it sounds like too much and it might have been too much because the thing that I'm looking for with my art now is some kind of communion with other artists because I think for the sake of just doing what I want to do all the time that I've also chosen kind of like this lonely path sometimes by always pursuing that and always pursuing more I've had to leave people behind okay when you say leaving people behind uh expound on that a little bit I often come back to places where I've lived and I keep in touch with people over time. And I guess I kind of always carry a sense of guilt almost. I mean, the ability that I've had to just do what what I want to do over and over again. And other people have family or friends kind of watched on in awe and maybe with a little bit of jealousy or just maybe feeling like they're boring or I think they're boring. And I've been super conscious of that and then as a storyteller trying to be more conscious of like the listening aspect of like when I when I'm getting into like my own narrative the the concept of like seeing to be seen like looking at your audience in the eye instead of looking too deeply into yourself like kind of recognizing the, the whole reason that you you're sharing the information in the first place. Let's frame out this a little bit, and I don't want to spend too much time here because uh, you have an interesting focus story, and that's what I want to do, but you and I go way back. Um, You are the first friend that I remember having. I know that seems really crazy. Uh, We we were pals from way, way back in the day when your dad uh, was was pastoring a church in Colorado uh, where where we both grew up. How old were we, man? I mean, it's hard hard to believe, but we were like six, five? uh, Definitely from ages, probably... I'm thinking more like eight or nine through 11 was like the strongest period because I think I have a picture of you from like a 10th or 11th birthday in one of my mom's albums. And it's like, we look like like we're almost like to puberty, you know, like we're, we're like at that age. So, wow. It it seems, it seems like it goes further back. I I'm not going to deny that, but it feels like it goes further back. I remember. um, So we're in, I want to say fourth grade. And that would be about the time you're talking about. And you had done this little paper cutouts of a dragon and you'd put like kind of like flames or smoke coming out of your nose and you had a pink tongue. And I think her name was Miss <laughs> Bauer maybe. Um, and she stops the whole class and she's like, everybody look at Aaron Garrett. And I remember, and you were new to the school and we turned around and I was like, this has to be the worst moment. I do, do you remember I that mean, at all? I didn't remember it until yeah. you told it, but I definitely triggered a memory. And the weird, like you saying with yeah, the, na- the so. name Mrs. Bauer, that triggered a memory too. But I did doodle. I was always uh, a yeah. poor student all the way through graduating high school. I doodled and would save up my homework for weeks until it was like a 10 pound backpack of textbooks. And like, <laughs> because of moving to ne- from Colorado to New York, I got held back and almost was like, I'll just get my GED, you know, um, because I didn't want to repeat uh, my sophomore year. So then they put me back in the class of 2004 and I graduated high school and then went into like home health care and then immediately massage therapy at like age 22. 
I, I mean, I don't, I realize I don't really know what you did in a, in your young adulthood because you posted something the other day about working in like oil fields. And I had like no idea that you had had any kind of experience like that. Yeah. So I, and you know, just, just briefly, basically I did some similar things where I was very nomadic. Um, I moved out to Omaha when I was 19, I want to say, and, and then spent a little bit of time there living with my grandparents. And from there, I got this idea that I wanted to work with uh, traumatized or troubled young, young kids. So it's kind of near and dear to my heart because I was a troubled kid. I got myself into a ton of trouble. And so I went and worked at this place called Second Nature. Um, we were wilderness therapy. So you just live out in the wilderness and you had shifts. So eight days on, eight, seven days off, basically. And um, then I met people there who were in the oil field. So I switched to that. I, I spent a lot of time driving to Las Vegas and playing uh, poker and just had a fun time, like going all over the place. Anytime I wasn't working, how, how far could I get in seven days and get back in time? And I, I had nothing to show for it financially or anything. I, I should have saved up a bunch of money, but I spent every penny I had traveling as many places as I could. Um, never been off the, the continent though. I never got my passport or anything. So. It just it's always felt urgent to me. Like I was like, I want people always said, do it while you can. And I would, I would do the same thing. I would hustle. I would work at a resort and live on property a lot of times and just work to spend a winter in Miami or something like that. And I would do that repeatedly mm -hmm. and kind of, especially like when I was living in New Mexico at the hot spring, I had a lot of freedom that way and, and probably did the mm -hmm. most traveling around that time. So you, you had mentioned earlier, kind of like there's a, an inherent loneliness to what you do, but how are friendships? I mean, do you, do you have a way, does social media help that or what, what do you do yeah, about yeah, that? Yeah, I have uh, really, um, my sister is one of my closest friends and we, we, we're, we're in touch constantly. Um, my friend Noel that I know from Jefferson Academy where I went uh, in like fifth and sixth grade mm -hmm. through like junior high times. Uh, that's a friend of 20 plus years that our paths have constantly been in, synchronized somehow. And then in each state that I've lived, I have like a, a, a pocket community, I guess, that kind of like seems to like reanimate whenever I enter that sphere. Like it's like all the connections are there. The people will like, you know, it's like, I think that's just my, my, maybe what I bring to the table is connectedness. And that's what I'm like trying to do with retreats and storytelling events and things like that is get to express myself more as like a community builder. Um, but it comes, it comes from that place gotcha. of just feeling um, because I changed schools constantly. I went to like eight, eight or nine different schools throughout the course of like grade school and high school and stuff. So I always wow. was moving. Wow. And one of the times we intersected was at Ralston Valley. I went there for just one year and I went back to Jefferson Academy mm -hmm. and then I moved, uh, moved to the East coast. Okay. So it was just so much back and forth. And like, that comes up in my poetry a lot is like pivoting. And like, it even comes up in my dream life of kind of like swinging like a pendulum constantly, you know? Why were you moving so much? I mean, was was Brian ever anything other than a pastor, or what? What caused that? He was he was still your, probably your a youth pastor uh, when, when he was youth pastor to your sisters and everything. He was he was a younger pastor at the time, and I think that I changed schools more than my my sister did not change schools, but I changed schools several times, mostly because of social problems. And so gotcha. I, okay. and so I think it was probably partially me being a kid and just saying, I hate school. I don't want to go to that school. And my parents trying to appease me and like mm -hmm. moving me to a different school. Yeah. Okay. 
I didn't realize that about you. I mean, I, I knew, or at least I sensed from conversations we had and, and everything that school wasn't your jam, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't realize that it was, it was that necessarily. Yeah, I mean, okay. it was kind of up until I, I changed schools every year up until around the time that we became friends. And then I was consistently at one school through fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And then that's about the time you moved out to New York. And in my mind, it's somewhere in like the Buffalo Western area, New York, south of Buffalo, a town called Olean. Okay. We moved there from Denver, Colorado. And then like me and my sister both kind of really blossomed in our rebellion. Once we moved to like the sticks, you know, like <laughs> we kind of got moved there almost yeah. as a punishment, maybe because like both of us were getting in a lot of trouble and the church that he was pastoring was starting to dissolve. So a new church called him to New York. And that's why we moved there. And me, because I just kind of like you know, rock and roll, like, yeah, let's move. Let's, let's like blow up our lives and go somewhere else. I was game for it. And it did change. It it was like almost like a whole new, new place and a whole new life for everyone in the family. Me and my sister, both, uh, our first job was working for my uncle's skating rink. And I was like the video jockey and I got to run the AV and the smoke and the lights and, you know, the the music video projector it was fun. It was fun kind of moving wow. from the suburbs to more of like a redneck kind of place. And like, you know, just, you know, it's like, it's like everybody's coming of age. Like you, I would sneak down the driveway from my parents' house in the country. Like it was a long dirt road and I would walk down the dirt road in the middle of the night to wait for my friends to pick me up at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> yeah. That's so fun. I mean, it is, it is like a, a coming of age, kind of a, a moment. So, so clear when you don't know anybody and you pick up your, your roots and, and move somewhere else. So. Hi, this is John Jadzio and I'm here to stump for my short story collection, Knockout. It's a book full of stories of deeply flawed people living on the outskirts of the American dream full of oddballs, outcasts, and underdogs who are set loose in our darkly absurd world that simultaneously is humorous, perverse, and moving. Hope you'll check it out. Thanks. Do tell me about your story. What what did you come on the podcast today? What's your story for us? I'm currently working on something that is pivoting between being like a experimental audiobook and a spoken word album and I'm kind of just maybe going to call it a sound collage or an audio zine but it's a memoir style narrative nonfiction written by me voiceover by me and maybe a couple of my friends and then the the audio tech uh, like mixing and mastering done by somebody else at least for the introduction, but it's it's about traveling as a massage therapist. It's interactive in the the fact that it is based on an, uh, me moving to California with the obsession of having a nomadic spa party, like a wellness detox party. First first vision was that it would be at like Coachella and it would be like promoting healthy social habits to like drug addicts you know like just being like oh we can hang out and like do crafts or art you know instead of cocaine or something like that like here's like a different choice for you to make and um a lot of that Mm -hmm. still remained true through to its final incarnation because I used like an angel party angel as the mascot and I had harp music but also like electronic uh artists on the lineup 
spoken word, poetry, and massage therapy. So basically just kind of like creating a kind of like uh, realm that reflects the things that I am, that I have expertise in and trying to maybe bridge um, a desire in myself to move from just doing massage therapy in a room to doing like outdoor events that are like, you know, healing arts cabanas at music festivals and stuff like that. So in the time that I met Nina Wise and started moving from doing like her, her, thing is called motion theater and she teaches a lot of different things but then she offered these writing classes and at first I thought I was going to write fiction and I ended up writing about this year and a half that starts pre-pandemic and it goes up until moving to Philadelphia this this fall which is where I'm at now. Now you you mentioned kind of the the Coachella element and then maybe the the um, you know, alternative choices for drugs. Is that something that comes out of your own past? Is it something that you're speaking to a time in your life or just something? Yeah, I have a lot of experience with recreational drugs and I like kind of have always seen myself as a party angel just in that like when I have been in uh, raves or festivals or clubs or different things, like I kind of take this like healer role still. And, and I notice that in nightlife, there's so much symbolism pointing towards you know, like there's a lot of like new age party scenes and Burning Man sort of stuff that use all kinds of symbols. But like one prevalent thing that got into my mind about it all was like promoting a brighter nightlife and like having maybe even just for the industry people, the people that work in nightlife, some sort of self-care station that they can go to after their shift, like in the late night. So me as a massage therapist could go and set up a chill area for VIPs or for talent and crew to use and have massages, workshops, and just kind of like mocktails and stuff, you know, like just a a relaxing experience with some sort of brainwave entrainment, art therapy sorts of activities. Is that your idea? Is it like an alternative in the moment where you've, you've gone to the rave or you've gone to whatever activity it is? Have you used cocaine and then you're like, I need to kind of like sober up and well, you go. It's funny. This Cause like you... I did something like this back in Miami with my friend Noel and a crew that we were with. And we set up a pop-up at life in color, which is like a rave where everyone gets sprayed down with paint and they had a water station and like a hug deli, but like also, um, performance art and and healing arts like I was doing massages at an actual rave like mostly young people a lot of them probably were on ecstasy and there's a lot of ethics about working on people when they're under the influence of alcohol or other substances the the sorts of activities that I would recommend for somebody in that situation would be like more restorative but like in this situation, I don't know if this is an offering that would be accessible to the party goers themselves, but more as like a, a utility for the people that are running the event. Okay, so it's it's more to support the people who are putting it on. And I want to promote different self-massage and self-stretch techniques that like promote creativity. So this, pro, you know, this aspect of what I'm doing, I would call like massage for talent, like specifically like people that use their bodies to entertain people that kind of see their body as an instrument. This is who probably the target audience would be. Other people aren't going to be thinking that this is interesting, I don't think. And and it, 
strikes me, I mean, you've mentioned that you, you got the training in massage. Is that going to be something that is more specific to what you're doing or have you learned to tailor it over the years to your purpose? I took some courses with anatomy of dance. And when I first moved to New York city, I was like, that's going to be my thing. I'm going to work with all dancers. And like, I kind of have a knack for choosing like weird, maybe controversial, like names for the things that I'm working on. But that tut period was like body exudance. Cause like, it was like, Oh, if you exude performance, it's exudance, but it's like, I'm not Paris Hilton. Like I can't just be like exudance. Like, but like, it, I, I thought it was such a cool <laughs> thing for New York, especially. And like, you know, I just think if you follow your interests, like I've been chasing my interests all around all different sorts of things, but like things like enjoying practicing vocal techniques on a microphone have been like consistent me liking to write stories is consistent and me wanting to share the story of my career as a massage therapist is kind of like a new part but a, maybe a need that I've had since I was a small kid because I haven't been on stage in a long time um, I prefer recording arts to performing arts because I do think that I uh, public speaking is kind of a scary thing for me now which is weird because it didn't used to be but like I'm I'm I, I interviewed for a massage instructor position recently and they critiqued my narrative style like of all things and like I just was very uncomfortable with the, mm. that particular situation but it's happened uh, even at my own event that I had in California when I took the mic and I was like you know it was time for me to tell my story I choked I I got like dry in my throat and like I wanted to like run away you know I, it was a hard thing Every, every time that I've ever spoken in front of a, a group of people, especially if you put some unknowns in, in the audience, I have this uh, like amnesia, basically. I get up there, I do my thing. And oftentimes people will be like, oh, you did fine. You know, and fine's not, like a, it's not a very high <laughs> yeah. point, but fine. Like, I, I remember nothing <laughs> completely wipes no, my No brain. one said anything to me like of my friends and family when I sat down because they knew that I just did not want pity at that moment, you know, but like everyone also knew that it was excruciating for me. So you and I uh, have some some kind of similarities, it seems like, in that, and, and maybe you're aware of this, but fiction is, is my first love. Um, it's what I have spent the last decade and a half doing every single day. I wake up first thing in the morning, I sit down with my, my writing, and I, I spend an hour and a half to two hours writing before anything else happens. Um, and it's been a similar, similar experience of, can I find, can I figure out how to uh, get the audience that I need to make this my life. Because uh, I, I, part, part of this is a long way of getting around to a question. How much of what you do is tied into the fact that you actually want people to experience it? Would you be happy if, if all the work you're doing was never experienced by anybody? I think I would be actually, I think I really have been okay. self-entertained up until this point. There is the fact of like resources and being driven by the like, I can only do massage for so long. So like, I do want to have an entrepreneurship chapter of my life where I can build retreats for people and kind of shine in that way. But it's, it is about giving people an, an experience for sure. I think that's what I get instant gratification from with massages. Like I have this container, people come in and they're like, you know, dazzled for an hour. And then there's this after effect and a glow that they have, and there's a visible change and I receive money and thank you, you know, on their way out the door. So like it's instant gratification and it is about, you know, it's totally altru altruistic. Like, you know, I'm, I'm there like doing manual labor on somebody's physical form and you know like kind of being there like genie for an hour like it's like oh you know harder here is this good like does that feel you know it's all about them mm -hmm. for the writing project in addition like in addition to being an experienced creator but an audio creator 
I would be happy if this is just an album for myself and for my own um, for my own therapy, like creating it for myself to tell my story in my own way and kind of cement this in time because it's been a huge, uh, huge catharsis for me moving to California, meeting my boyfriend, me and him moving together back to Philadelphia now, still being in a liminal space of not knowing, you know, if we'll stay in Philly very long at all. We might just be here through the summer and then be back in California. But I've been to and from California for years. San Diego always pulls me in and it's kind of been a long tried and true friend to me. And uh, not even one of my favorite places, honestly, but like definitely one of the places I feel safe. I went down to San Diego several years ago with uh, my wife and we, uh, it's the very end of the trip. We started north in Portland, Oregon and drove all the way down the the Highway 1 and 101. Um, So ended in San Diego and went down to the beach and there's this college there and you, you park there and then you walk down. I think it's gotta be at least a mile and a half, but it's just stairs for a mile and a half down this cliff face onto a beach in San Diego. Unbeknownst to us. It's yeah. You're a, at Black's beach. beach. So That's in my memoir. There's a scene where I get stung by a jellyfish at Black's beach. Um, just after having a finger broken, like weeks later, I have this jellyfish incident all like uh, in the midst of waiting to hear about a job after having been there. But yeah, you were at, you were at Black's Beach. It's, it is steep. Walking up those stairs with the jellyfish wound was, uh, was worth writing about for sure. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Did you see the jellyfish that, no, that stung you? Or no, did I just, you just saw kind blood. Like, I felt okay. it. And then I saw blood in the water. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You bled. Yeah. Oh and my then gosh. It got, it got okay. infected. I got stung by jellyfish not that bright and I put my foot into spring water and in the forest somewhere like was like about a week week or two after having that happen oh it would feel so nice to put my feet in the water oh I probably shouldn't do this (laughs) and then it got it got an infection from it so it's just like um I don't know I I felt I felt like at that time like everything was kind of going too easy for me so those were like my that was like my my toll to pay it's like I was moving really fast during like everyone's supposed to be quarantined and I was running around and doing all this moving. And then it was like, I kept getting ouchies. <laughs> so is this during COVID then like the early part of COVID or I had, ha- I was living in New York and I had the idea for the dry spell, the nomadic spa party, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's still, you know, it, it's still becoming what it, what it is. Um, but I had the idea to have that there and I was still living in New York. So I had applied for my California massage license, which came the same week that I got let go from my job in Manhattan. And then I, then I got this like job that gave me a bunch of money up front to do nothing. I was supposed to be teaching stretching at a, a truck like dispatch center in upstate New York, and it wasn't really a successful program. So I got paid a ton of money to do nothing, took that, got a sublet in California, then got a job at Yosemite and then got furloughed from that job wow. and then moved to San Diego, which is where I ended up having the event just because after everything, I, I just like, even though I wasn't ready and maybe it was pulling the carriage before the horse, I wanted to just get it done because I haven't finished a lot of things in my life. And I had talked about this so much. I didn't care if 10, 20, 30 people came It ended up being 30 people, but it was the people that mattered and Mm -hmm. the people that were supporting me that were there. And it, you know, it kind of all for me, like it was like an event I created for other people, but it kind of realized that everyone was showing up for me. Mm -hmm. 
how did you process through that after the fact? After the fact, I had already, so we had already moved our stuff to Philly and we flew back for the event. So that was kind of strange because I had already left and then it was like, but not really, I'm still here. And I invited some of my coworkers from the beach where I worked. I kind of processed it like on stage when I was standing in front of everyone and I started reenacting one of the scenes from the memoir where I'm teaching that stretch techniques at that truck dispatch center and everyone was mimicking my movements and doing, you know, they're following along with me as if they were in a stretch class with me, but I was acting out a scene from the memoir. And it hit me like when I was looking out at everyone that was there that they were just following my lead, how, you know, like much responsibility I felt in that moment for having like, set the date, picked the venue, made the invitations, you know, set up the food and the massages mm-hmm. and the, the getting an MC and getting a heart player and uh, an electronic musician just for, to, I guess, to prove something to myself and to also kind of have a debut. I mean, a long overdue debut of me performing, you know, on stage myself. So, and, and just so that I get this straight in my head, this is um, the the performance where you, you kind of got the dry throat and, and had that like the hard time yeah. talking. Okay. So same thing. And that's the dry spell. Can you, can you help set up the um, give, give me like the, I know this sounds really dry, but give me the business pitch for it so that I feel like I really understand it. Cause I don't know if I so, 100% yeah. get it. People get confused. They're like, is this a story or an event? Or like, what are you talking about? But like what I was pitching by, by showcasing this event, the way that I did was the idea that I would like to have like, um, a two part event that begins as like a garden party invite a lot of artistic types of people, have the understanding that this is kind of an interactive experience, um, kind of with some immersive theater elements like towards the end, but mostly it's it's like an open mic where people get a discount um, for performing. They get table reservations that include food, wellness, drinks, and like a spa activity, like a massage or a facial. They're having like a private workshop, like a harp therapist playing while there's a writing workshop. And they they have their table Mm. that they reserved and they're outside in a garden. Once the garden party portion is over, then the night stroll begins. And that is improvised workshops that occur throughout the space. And the space that I had chosen was, is no longer it no longer exists because the owner moved to Columbia, but it was there for 20 years and it was called the fire garden. And so we were like part of its like last act actually. And he was a fire artist. He made metal sculptures that were fire art installations. And he was camped out there for a long time doing weddings and uh, concerts and things like that on his own property, which is basically like where I would like to end up is like managing my own venue, having something like the fire garden myself. So like eventually I wouldn't have to rent a venue. I would just own land with the company that, that has these events. And then people, if they like what they see at the dry spell and they want to have a pop-up at their own event, they can pick and choose from the elements there to kind of create their own VIP experience or, you know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. just me. This is almost like a one man show, except for the few people that, that performed with me there. But like, if I was going to go and do this at a, at an event, it would be more of a one man show than anything I would be doing. I would probably be offering the massage myself and doing some sort of improvised sound art 
while I'm doing like some sort of uh, wellness what, who's, who's the target? Who do you want to show up at the dry spell or any, any future pop-up like this? I want people that maybe are like me that uh, have a, a unfulfilled desire to, to be on stage and that maybe like uh, it could be an entry point for other people too. So amateur everything, but mostly spoken word and ambient sounds like I, I want it to I, I like I like it being a spa party I like it the tag creatively well at the dry spell I like creative wellness as a concept that like you know we're offering an experience that would be like maybe something that you would see at a new age party in Ibiza or something like that but on like on a intimate and much more like grassroots scale because like I, I'm learning that I have to be really realistic about the, these things because I spent a lot of money when I didn't have to. Like I could have kept it a lot simpler, but I I, I had such a um, high expectations for what mm. I wanted to offer. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I completely understand the impulse. So you see one, I, I mean, honestly, offline, I need to introduce you to my friend, John. He's been doing voiceover for a long time. Um, he was actually my dummy guest for the show. He's I, the first I, person saw, I, I got on. a clip of a voiceover artist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been a good friend of mine for, for many, many years. And uh, he definitely would be somebody I think that you would, you would connect with pretty well. Um, but uh I do this to myself all the time. I, I go off on a, a rabbit trail and I can't remember exactly where I was headed. Um, so your, your vision is actually creative. So anybody who wants to go and have a safe place to kind of uh, have their first audience, is that, yeah. is that sort of part of it? Yeah. Okay. And that's who I, I had several other performers and one of them, the harp therapist was very experienced and it was actually Clayton, my boyfriend's harp teacher since he was like four years old. So that was like a very intimate oh. family thing. Um, I had another heart player who got um, positive COVID results. So she was not able to attend. And so Clayton's mom ended up doing a pillow making workshop in place of her, um, of, oh. of her uh, space. And uh, that was really popular. Like she brought lots of satin and cotton and people at the beginning that showed up um, before the performances started made a pillow. And then there was uh one younger guy that was supposed to perform electronic music and like kind of like uh i i felt let down that we didn't have the right cables but i also wasn't sure that he was going to perform until the day of so there was like a lot of things mm. happening there and then there was two spoken word poets uh one of which was experienced he was my mc um soul stuff and then uh, a woman that was like a doctor by day but showed up in a beautiful led dress and uh I did not screen her poetry at all and ended up being more of the like racy material, but uh, okay. she gave like a pretty raw, like expression stream of consciousness sort of piece um, towards mm. the end. And that I don't think that that's something she had ever done before. So more of that wow. is what I want more of like okay. debuts and more everything experimental, everything improvisational is interesting at the dry spell. It, I want it to be that way. And how is it, how are you getting the word out? Do you just go word of mouth? I mean, it's interesting to me too. Anything I can learn from you is obviously helpful, but what do you do to, to get people? Uh, I hadn't been in San Diego very long. So the first thing that I did um, once once I got a job at the beach was get a co-working space right there in the area. Cause I was driving like an hour to get to where I worked at the time, but coworkers where I worked, I immediately started telling them about what I was doing and got one esthetician on board. And she was with me like months before uh, kind of strategizing. Okay. And then um, 
talking to people at the co-working space and leaving flyers there and using all their online referrals and message boards. I flyered a lot. I got like way too many flyers. And like towards the end, I was being even like tacky enough to be like putting them on people's cars, but I just had too many flyers, you know, like I was just mm-hmm. trying to get sure. rid of them yeah. and just going around talking to different business owners on main street. I would, I just kind of went down the row, like one lady made cosmetology products that were for horses and humans and I had no idea she was like in the neighborhood and she couldn't come but she gave me a bunch of free products but I I guess uh, I'm I I wish that I was better at sales because I didn't sell that many of them but I feel like um, I was pushing the problem was that it was a remote location and I kind of split the ticketing so I had donation ticketing for the tables through Indiegogo and the Indiegogo was all about raising money for the recording and editing of the audiobook. So it conf- I think that was confusing to some people that they were thinking about going to an event and then it was like, oh, you do- if you give money to this project, then you'll get a table at this event. Um, so that's something that maybe I would not repeat um groups meet up um like when i'm now that i'm in philly um i'm at a co-working space now i'm going to start doing meetups here with people that like the idea of this kind of event and want to do something here on the east coast and then they have a movement studio here so i am going to start doing the workshops that i i facilitate out of the movement studio and those will be performative in that i am going to bring in my um experimental electronic instruments and have like mini performances at the end of each lesson where it's like you know oh we're gonna like you know it's like hypnotizing electronic drones and things like that that I'll just kind of improvise in the moment. Now the piece you had sent me kind of is a, a preview of some of the work that you're doing. Tell me a little bit about about that piece because it, it does have I, I think I told you that it reminded me a little bit of um, a sense you get on a psychedelic. Yes. Um, the kind of a trip. There's, there's that sense to it. So tell me a little bit more is that, that I think fits in yeah. here, right? The, the electronic sounds. Yeah. Okay. That, that I didn't compose the elect, the, the binaural beats on that track, but if you listen to it with headphones um, you have more of a therapeutic effect because of that element that uh, it was designed by um, B.R. Newman of Studio Lifeworks. And he's helping me with the intro to my memoir, but he created that composition I listened to it and I wrote a free write while I listened to it, just exactly the way that I recorded it. And then asked him if he wanted to go further and mix in my spoken word vocals. So I recorded them at home in Queens and sent them to him. And then he mixed, he mixed it together in that really trippy way. (laughs) And the writing is trippy to me. The uh, I, I'm trying to learn to be less cryptic, but like with my poetry, I tend to to just want to um, focus on like the architecture of how things sound more than like getting a point across. So I sometimes I just get obsessed with like the way words pair together, and it, it, they 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 show up repeatedly in different poems just because I love them so much. But there, there's a lot of ideas I have that are abstract to me and I'm like a visual sorter so like I think that when that piece is kind of prophetic just in my own life like everything that happened after I wrote it I can I can listen to that and hear that there were things coming up that I was sensing at the time 
Okay. So you, you feel like you, you were on the verge of some big things and that, that was a, a moment where you were speaking to what yeah, was Yeah. And we actually calibrate, like I request, I was going to perform that at an event in New York that got canceled, uh, like at the end of February. And I was going to have it at my co-working space there, which was like a, a cool wellness lounge. And we had a lot of different healers there. So, you know, I, I keep trying in different places and then I move or something, you know, or, or COVID gets in the way, but like, mm. um, uh, I've, I've been persistent with a lot of these ideas that I have because I don't hear uh, like a lot of people having this niche of healing and performing arts go hand in hand. And so that piece was made like, um, some of the frequencies uh, that he used were, were to coordinate with like the way the planets were moving at the time and the way that the, it was supposed to be performed on leap day, February 29th, 2020. So like it was calibrated to that moment and that's when I did the recording. And so it's like, I guess the main theme of the dry spell or of the nomadic spa party memoir at the end, when I when the character me, you know, Lavander, which is my artist name, uh, it has the event and then has the realization. Why did I do this in the first place? Why am I interested in this? It's because I think when I was a teenager, rebellious preacher's kid, I thought that things that were performed were not sacred, that like performance was like profane or something. And like I accused my parents in the ministry of being like performers or being fake or phony because what they were doing was so public. And so like it's uh, I guess like um, it's something that like being a loner, I've always been suspicious of. Like at the same time of wanting it, I'm like always suspicious of that. Like when people gather together for some altruistic thing. And so I see myself like wanting that even when I was in massage school and putting my hands on people, like with the intention of helping them, seeing the correlations between the way I was raised and what I was becoming. And maybe like ending that fight there and then realizing now that like I have an interest even in like, uh, crafting a mess crafting messages through writing that can be healing for people besides just doing body work so I'll elaborate on that because it's one of the questions that I've, I've kind of toyed with asking but it, it seems you're opening the door to it somewhat is um your your parents are doing something that if i'm just guessing and i feel like it's a fairly educated guess your parents had a hard time with with your journey probably for a long time in a lot of ways um Facebook tells one story and your dad, I see him smiling yeah. with you in pictures. And so I'm like, cool, they found a way to be friends. And I, I'm so excited by that. And I also think it's got to be hard for him. It's got to be tough for him and your mom in some ways to feel like very strict evangelical. Cause I know, you know, I still identify as, as Christian. I don't know if you do, but even still my family all thinks I'm definitely <laughs> going to because my beliefs are a little bit zany. Yeah. They just don't understand me parts of me. Um, but a lot of the things that I like are from about myself are from them. And, um, I just think that like, they have been welcoming to like boyfriends that I've had I've introduced them to serious relationships I came out when I was 18 so there's been a lot of time for that but there's still the fact that they're like leaders of a community that doesn't um that they're not going to endorse this publicly ever like I'm never going to get like verbally or out loud like an endorsement to be gay but like everything else about my life me traveling uh, me being an uh, artistic entrepreneur those are things they're proud of it's just you know the who the, gotcha. the, per, the people that I date and the, the type of romantic relationship okay. I want to have is not to their approval. 
That's, I mean, I, <laughs> I was just about to take it kind of lightly and say, that's great. It's great that, that you're, the, the work that you do is uh, approved and, and like that they're, they're proud of you for that. They should be absolutely. And it's good. It's a bummer that the, the church community has such strong feelings on, on uh, our sexual identity. And um, well, my sister kind of lives in that. that town still, and it's just church people are nosy about everything in your life. And when you're a preacher's kid, you're just like the subject of a lot of dinner table conversations. You're like, even if you don't know that for sure, you feel it energetically and just the energetic drainingness of going to church with my parents and having to shake every hand. And um, it's, you know, what they do for people is self-sacrifice, like, you know, like it's just... It, like trying to mimic it even for one day is exhausting to me yeah it's not it's not something that i have any interest in <laughs> at, at this point i like i like your outlook too i mean it, it seems that something in life and i'm not sure exactly what it is maybe you can tell me but something in your life has given you a level of acceptance for the the world that you were raised in that i don't even think i have for for my family i've had a relationship with god it's all i've had for a long time and i right before um pandemic times and right before setting on my journey to California I was living in New York and I got a kind of mean Christmas card from one of my mom's sisters like it felt mean because it felt judgmental but it was like maybe coming from a good place but it's like oh it's never too late to come back to the Lord like oh you little like lost one and I'm like I'm 35 and you don't know you don't never talk to me about anything and how would you like everywhere I've been all the times I've moved all I've had is God like so many times I've been alone in my life in a different country or in a new place a new you know sleeping in a cabin somewhere or sleeping in my van somewhere because I lived in my van in New Mexico uh, like you know all those places who do you think was with like I wasn't alone like I know I wasn't alone but like there was no people there I lived out of my uh, I had a, a, a trailblazer for a little while I lived out of the back of my trailblazer. yeah well I think that was part of your uh, post about working that you were you had that cabinet thing uh, in the back yep. of your car when you were working in the oil field so that's yes. how I knew that story Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I wouldn't trade those times for anything, man. I, I enjoyed those. They're so formative for yep. me. So where, where from here, are you going to be putting on another uh, dry spell nomadic spa party or what, what comes? It's going to be more like picnic style or renting like an amphitheater, something like through parks and recreation somewhere, a non-ticketed event, something that I'm not expecting to like recover from, like not expecting to need to recover from financially something a little more low-key um but i want to keep the audience that i did that did show up for it i want to keep a tradition of gathering at least once a year but i think in january i'm going to do something in san diego at the end um and it might just end up being something i live stream but like i'll do something to because i I, you know i have abandoned so many projects and this one i'm not going to do it like i mean i'll change the name i'll kill my darlings and i'll change the name if i have to but like this idea of a nomadic spa party because it's so good i'm trying to just salvage it even in writing the memoir about it it's just like you know maybe it didn't pop off year one but just i'm so obsessed with it that it's it was the thing that drove so many events in my life over the last two years it was like the deciding factor yeah. in a lot of ways for a lot of the things that I did were, were to that end. So two questions. The first one is, 
how, what was the moment of inspiration? Maybe you said it earlier and it's kind of buried in the conversation. What's the moment of inspiration where you decided the nomadic spa party is what I'm doing? That's such a perfect question to ask. And I will share the saucy detail on your Create Collaborate podcast. I was walking in Manhattan and I had taken a Xanax that I bought from someone that I was buying weed from. And I had bought a Xanax from him, like just like on a whim, like, oh, sure, I'll take it. So like I took the Xanax at the time that I was walking around Manhattan. I got the idea of like, oh my god I have to have this dry spell party like I'll have it at Coachella even if it's not in the festival grounds I'll just rent a venue in the Coachella verse somewhere and have this happening oh my god it's such a good idea and because I was like under the influence I called um a couple podcasters that I knew at the time I called a performer an R&B singer um through Instagram you know like left voice messages in their DMs like I'm doing this thing I was just walking in Manhattan high just like I'm doing this thing it's going to (laughs) be this wellness party it's like a detox party you know and it's going to be great and we're going to have a tea dance and a garden party and workshops and massages and mocktails and and avocado toast you know and like (laughs) avocado toast (laughs) so that's that was the moment that I had that inspiration before that I was at my co-working space and I was getting frustrated that I wasn't getting a lot of massages there it was actually like a spa co-working space where I had a massage room so I was like well instead of having massage clients here I should just have a meetup group and try and get some people to make like cool spa music and have like someone do reiki or do a singing bowl or like you know, some sort of shamanista come in here and do, do something like it was just, I wanted to, I was, I was kind of disappointed. I was at the end of one road and I was kind of disappointed with what had happened. So I decided to change my mind about everything and go in a different direction. You know, what really strikes me is that you have this moment where you're, you're high and um, I've, I've had plenty of those, probably my, my drug of choice is alcohol for the most part. I've had so many inspiring moments when I was drunk. I've, I've made the worst phone calls and the most ill-advised emails, all these things where I'm like, I'm going to conquer the world right now. And you've got to come with me because this is amazing. I wake up in the next morning and I'm embarrassed and I'm mm. like, why did I do that? Um, Create Collaborate is uh, kind of the antithesis of that. I was not uh, at the moment under any kind of influence, but I had recently been. And um, that was what gave me the idea. And I didn't wake up the next day embarrassed. And it sounds to me like you didn't either. What was the difference? Why did you not wake up the next day and feel like, whoa? Uh, that was just me under. No, that's kind of been something I've been insecure about the whole time. It's like, oh, am I phony because I'm promoting wellness, but I, you know, I have poor impulse control and like, I still think I'm, I'm 25 mm-hmm. and that this is okay and cool, you know, like, but um, I also through the whole, the whole time that I've been um, writing this and working on the party and stuff, been doing some one-on-one therapy, which I concluded, but I had like a year of one-on-one therapy and did some DBT, like uh, distress tolerance techniques and learned just continually worked on it and just tried to work on the relationship with substances. So it's like, now I'm at a point where like, I take a measured amount of THC every day and I try to take it like an actual medicine and have an intention behind it. Mm -hmm. And, um, try to just manage myself better because that's all that I felt maybe embarrassed of. Like, I think that all kinds of drugs can be used for transformation. Um, your body is sacred. Like, you know, like the angels are jealous of us for having bodies. And so like, you don't want to put like trash in it constantly. I I've always felt insecure about that, but it's just, you know, it's part of my own story and it's something that I, always will have to work on there's been all kinds of phases of that story but it it, 
actually now at like th 35 is something that I feel like I've semi conquered. I just, I, I, it's also something that is a part of who I am. And part of, part of who I am is I think also liking negative attention. And so I think I drum it up sometimes too, to be like, I was bad. You know, I was, let me tell you how bad I was. That is, I, I had, I had another question. <laughs> I wanted to go down that road, but I have to, I have to hear more about that, man. I I've, I've told my wife probably uh, a billion times that there's no such thing as somebody who thrives on negative attention. Um, we've, we've got one of our, our kids who, it, uh, the three boys. So I'm not like, you know, if you know us really well, you know, which one I'm yeah. talking about anyways, he, he seems to thrive on negative attention and, and I can't figure it out. And it's only recently that I finally accepted. Yes. For whatever reason it's fueling him, the negative attention fuels him. Tell I think me. it's a test for, for a kid like that. Maybe it's, it's like about, will they still love me after I say something like this? Like, is there a limit to their love? And I think that I maybe that's the guess that I have right now at my, in my life is like, why did I do that as a kid? Why would I run into like a room of adults and exclaim something like self-deprecating or, um, or tell a lie even to get negative attention? Like not even something I did, like it's not even true, but it's bad. Why would I do that? And um, being a new kid at school all the time, like obviously, like I think I was trying to control the dynamics and and come off on a foot with a with an aggressive angle and be maybe something that was like shocking to the other kids because I felt intimidated or scared. So I was trying to like one up them ahead of the time. But I think with parents and kids, it's often just trying to see how much you how much your parents actually do love you, like you know, if, if, if there's something you can do to actually break it and, and just also not having that, like I, there's like borderline or personality type or whatever, but it's just about like limits and boundaries. I, I didn't have them as a kid. And as an adult, I've consciously worked on having it and like being like a massage therapist that like has to like shut their mouth actually. Like, you know, I usually kind of just go into my own mind when I'm working, but sometimes people get me chatting and then that comes out and I get really scattered and, and frustrated and start revealing secrets to my mm -hmm. clients, you know, telling them, and, and then they take the power, you know, once I, once I've shared personal information, then I feel like less of a professional and then I kind of regret it afterwards. So, I mean, that, that kind of dovetails into the next question I was going to ask is for you, it seems like that's still something going on where you maybe thrive a little bit on the negative attention. Where do you see that in your life? And do you think that it's transformational for you? I think I still do it with my boyfriend because he's like way too good for me. Just like, just kidding. But like, he's like from a totally different life. And so I think I play up like, Oh, like, you know, this is, I I'm scrappy and like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm this or that, but like I play, I, I test him constantly the way that I used to test my parents probably of just being like, Oh, if I like spaz out right now and act crazy, like, are you going to tell me that you're not going to sit next to me or something, you know, like. I'm not, I'm not built that way. And so I, I, I love to hear about it and see that it, it happens. I am kind of the opposite. In fact, my wife would probably tell you that I drive her insane. So I'm always like, do you yeah. love me? Do you love me? Yes. I'm the real needy, you need verbal, awful, verbal awful affirmation person. every day. <laughs> so yeah. much. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's terrible. So you, yeah, it, it, you have a hard stop in about four minutes. So I want to wrap up by asking you, um, obviously we don't have a huge audience right now. Um, my, my hope is that this will get bigger. Um, what, what can, what can people listening do for you? How can they help you? Uh, what would you want to leave them with? 
I want people to follow my SoundCloud. So that's soundcloud.com slash Lavander, L-E-V-A-N-D-U-R. And um, I think that's probably just going to be the home base for most poetry and spoken word projects that I have until I kind of get my own like LLC and want to start self-publishing and like building like an actual catalog. But like at this point, I don't have anything released. I have no body of work. I have a few files that I put up there. And then um, that's all. The, the dry spell will, will be occurring who knows where. Um, and it will be always the Friday after Labor Day, but it's a nomadic spa party. So it's a coin toss of whether it's going to be in the Philadelphia area or somewhere in California. But that, that's something I would like to be like a bi-coastal like matrix of workshop people that have like workshop ideas that maybe do different things in the spa or or in theater or whatever but like workshops that are that are to help people tell their story in a way that they want to tell it and so people people that want to collaborate with that there's going to be meetup group uh the meetup group when it was in new york went by healing arts lab i'm setting it up now uh healing arts lab in new york city now i'm setting up one in philadelphia so i'm hoping to find people that want to do something in philly in april and then the 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 actual like dry spell two or whatever we end up calling it will be probably in california because that's where all my event equipment is in storage still (laughs) i left it all there (laughs) um and then for people um, for people like me who, who aren't really familiar with SoundCloud, do I have to actually like subscribe to SoundCloud in order to That's why to it's easy you, is you can or... just send a link and you, you can listen to it in the browser of your, of your uh, phone. But if you download the app, it's free. They just, um, I don't have a free account. I pay $4.99 a month for like being able to download stuff and such, but you can, you can listen without an account or you can make a free account. Okay, perfect. So I will have a link to that in the show notes for this particular episode. Um, And it was really phenomenal to talk to you again, Aaron, after so many years. Um, It's really strange. You, you still look youthful. So I I just, you look exactly the same. I know I don't, my face has gotten like 10 times rounder, (laughs) but uh, you've, you've uh, clearly taken good care of yourself and uh, you're, you're charming. And it was, yeah, I was so looking forward to this. Thanks for bringing me in on it. And I, I can't wait till you release everything. I, I like podcasts like this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So looking forward to it, man. All we'll right, talk Jody. To you again soon, okay. Farewell. All right. Take care.